Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 and 88 right across Australia. Positively different radio in the morning. And Christopher, well, you're, you're with Lyle and Christopher, of course. But Christopher, course. yes. what is our quiz for the day? We do not have an answer yet, so somebody needs to call yeah, and give us right. an answer or text us through or send us a message on Facebook or somehow communicate to us the answer to this question. What's our first clue there? Okay, so it is a what am I question, and it mm-hmm. says, Daniel had a vision where he saw a man who was resisted by the Prince of Persia. Mm-hmm. Now, this man had one of these made of the finest gold. Okay, give us another clue. All right, our second clue is, this was one of the things Jonathan gave to David when making a covenant with him. Okay, so something that the man in Daniel chapter 10 was wearing. There's a, did I give the clue away? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And something that Jonathan gave to David. What am I? Okay, so if you know the answer to the quiz, then give us a call. 1-800-324-843. Send us a text. 0491-064-669. Or even just send it through to our Facebook page and uh, we will make sure that there will be a prize coming your way. Okay, very good. Excellent. What are we talking about in our encounter with God today? All right, so we're looking at, I think, a very exciting topic. We're looking at this idea of the sanctuary or the temple. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. basically it was, well, this design that God gives to humanity. And I think as we begin to look at it, we're going to find out a lot about what God is trying to convey, what lessons we can learn from this well, building, really. Sure. Okay, so a little bit of historical background on this building. It began in the time of Moses. The very first one was built by Moses. The second one was built by Solomon. The third one was built by Zerubbabel. The fourth one was built by Herod. And sometime after the death of Jesus in 70 AD, the fourth and last one was destroyed. And interestingly enough, the Bible speaks about another one. Another one, hey? Yes, but not here on this earth. In heaven. I'm going to share that with you real quick. Why not? Hebrews chapter 8. I wasn't planning on this, but uh, it came to mind, so I'm going to share it with you. And this is the great original. Hebrews chapter 8. And this one has existed long before and long after any of those other ones. Okay, so flicking over here, verse 1, the Bible says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the summary. We have a high priest who is sitting on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. That's God the Father. And this high priest, Jesus Christ, verse 2, is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle or temple which the Lord built and not man. So here we have Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father in the temple in heaven. Um, If we go down to verse 5, it speaks about the priests who are on earth. And it says, those who are on earth serve unto the example and the shadow of heavenly things. So the one that was on earth was a shadow of the one in heaven. As Moses was admonished of God, it goes on, when he was about to to make the temple, for see, God said, that you make all things according to the pattern showed you in the mountain. So here's what we've got in the mountain. God shows Moses a pattern of the one that's in heaven, and says, go ahead and build this. <laughs> and it was certainly a shadow. Yes. <laughs> because when you look at what, you look at the magnificence of the one on earth, it could not even possibly begin to compare to something that God has created in heaven. And it's crazy because that's covered in gold and all these precious jewels, oh, like yeah. the finest linens you could get. Absolutely. And it's the biggest, best thing we could think of, but... Yeah, Man, the one in heaven. No, <laughs> couldn't even, could not even come close. You think about the difference between a reality and a shadow. 
Yeah. You know, if you are standing outside and you are casting a shadow, it's late in the day or early in the day, you're casting a shadow, you look at that shadow on the ground, you know, just there on the concrete, it is one-dimensional, it is flat, it has no substance, it is black and white, that's all there is to it. This probably yeah. And yet when you look at the reality, the reality is alive and colourful and three-dimensional and you can have a relationship, a connection with the alive one. This probably isn't the greatest analogy, but it might be a little bit like buying a legitimate Rolex and then buying like a bootleg Rolex. Uh, $5 <laughs> one, yes. From uh, your friendly salesman outside the tour bus in uh, Italy or somewhere. Yeah, he seems legit. No. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I trust him. Once, yeah. once you start at $50 and beat them down to five, then yeah. uh, <laughs> it's like, yep, that's a Rolex for sure. Okay, so um, why did God ask Moses to do this? Why, why was it that God asked Moses to build a sanctuary well, in heaven? The word sanctuary really just means, or tabernacle rather, uh, just refers to, uh, in the Hebrew, it just means uh, like a place of dwelling. Okay. And so we see that God always wants to dwell with his people. Yes. He wants to be with them and live with them and talk with them. And we see him do that in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. But of course, when sin enters the world, there's now this barrier. Sin serves as this barrier between right. God and humanity. So God doesn't need a roof over his head then. That's not the issue here. No. <laughs> and so when uh, God says, all right, I want you to build this tabernacle, this place of dwelling, it's kind of like a temporary solution to this sin problem. He goes, right. I'm going to provide like this space where I can just dwell with you guys, but... Dwell is cold in kind of old English. We live with people. We don't dwell that's with true, people. That's true, that's true. Do you talk about dwelling with... Do you live in a, in, in a house or a... Uh, a dwelling? A, 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 or, a, a, or a dormitory when you're at um, uni? I live in a dormitory, but okay. it's not a dwelling. Do you say, I dwell with 300 other young people in this dormitory? No, maybe I should, though. No, <laughs> <laughs> no you're true. So yeah. God just wants... Yeah, God just wants to live with his people. Yeah. And that's what it says in uh, Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8. Let them make me a sanctuary so that I can live amongst them. Something was stopping God from living amongst them, and that was sin. Yeah. And well, even again, it's a temporary solution because God's presence... Oh, I'm skipping a bit ahead here. But there was a certain part of the uh, tabernacle in which God's presence was primarily located. The most holy place. Exactly. And then no one was allowed to enter that place because, again, this divide between God and uh, humanity because of sin. Mm -hmm. So God was still Mm -hmm. able to dwell, but we couldn't still directly be in his presence. It was like a temporary fix, but it's a shadow to the permanent solution. It illustrates what what God does on a universal, I was going to say on a global scale, on a universal scale. Mm. It it, it shows God's character. Okay, so we've got this one that uh, is built in the sanctuary. And um, it was it was a fairly simple structure. It had three different parts to it. First of all, it had a courtyard, and the one that Moses built had a courtyard made of cloth. Uh, the one that Moses built, of course, was a movable one. It was a tent. So it has a courtyard made of cloth, and that cloth is white cloth. And then inside the courtyard, you had an altar of sacrifice and a large bowl for washing in. And they called that a laver. I'm not quite sure why. Why is it called a laver? Why don't they call it a Do bowl? you dwell in a laver? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's called a laver. We'll call it a laver because that's what the Bible calls it. And then, of course, you had um, the tent itself. And inside the tent, it had two rooms. One room was twice the size of the other room. The big room was called the holy place. And the small room was called the most holy place. And that's where God was. That's right. And so this is the this is the structure that we are dealing with. Let's go to Psalms chapter seventy-seven, and there's a passage here in uh, verse 
13. Psalm 77 and verse 13. You got that one there for us, uh, Christopher? Yeah, so it says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Hmm. 7713? <laughs> yeah, that was the verse, except that my translation says, Your way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Oh. Whereas yours says, Holy. Interesting, and this is this is one of the one of the things that uh, you'll often find in translations because the holy place is often referred to as the sanctuary, yeah, rather than you know courtyard, holy place, most holy place. Often the Bible just uses the word holy place or holy places to refer to the sanctuary, and some and some translations just translate it as um, you know a holy place. But that's okay. God's way is in the sanctuary. God's way of dealing with sin and dealing with sinners. He has a great psalm. While we're in psalms, there's another one in, uh, in, in just right there in 73. I just came to mind. And uh, this one's a psalm of Asaph. And uh, I really like Asaph's psalms. And Asaph was somebody who just loved God so much, just an incredible amount. And one thing that really disturbed him was when he looked around the world and he saw evil people prospering. And in his mind, this just brought dishonor on God. And he felt that, you know, um, surely God can step in and do something about this. Why is it that you know, God's name is dishonored by the fact that uh, evil people are prospering? And he couldn't understand it. And in verse 3 he says, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's really like, what's going on here? And then in verse 16, you, know, you can read on down through it, but in verse 16 he says, When I stopped to think about this, it was too painful for me. It was something that really hurt him deeply in his heart, and so he's looking for answers. And he goes, Until I went into the sanctuary, and then I understood it. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. And so this is where uh, Asaph came to understand how God was dealing with the sin problem. He understood it by going into the sanctuary and studying, studying the sanctuary. So if we want to understand the sin problem, that's where we're going to find the answers. And of course, if you would like to have answers to your question, don't forget to give us a call, 1-800-324-843 or 0491-064-669 to text it through to us. And we still are looking for somebody to answer the question for us. Maybe my good mate Aaron can find the answer to the question. If he's still looking, if he's still <laughs> listening to us live in the uh, cab of his tractor right now, then uh, yeah, see if you can come up with the answer to this one. Give us another clue there. All right, here we go. So it's a what am I? Mm-hmm. Daniel had a vision where he saw a man who was resisted by the prince of Persia, this man had one of these made of the finest gold. Okay. Clue number two, this was one of the things Jonathan gave to David when making a covenant with him. Yep. Here's our new clue. Agabus? Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> yes, that's how you pronounce I'm it. I'm going to say, Agabus the prophet. Oh, hey, I'm just going to just, just pronounce it that way with confidence. That's it. Yeah. Agabus, the that's prophet. Took this from Paul and tied his own hands and feet with it. Okay, there's, getting, there's a better clue, you know. It's, come on, guys. I already gave another clue in the last section. Yeah. You find the answer to the Daniel one in chapter 10. So, um, there we yeah, go. Yeah, dig deep, give us a call, send us a text message, let us know the answer to this question, and there will be a free album coming your way. Okay, where are we up to? We were talking about the uh, sanctuary and how that the sanctuary illustrates God's plan of salvation and how God is going to deal with sin. 
So do you think maybe the best way to see this process is to kind of take like a maybe a little tour through the sanctuary? Go yeah, why not? bit by bit. Why not? Let's, let's go. Let's, let's, do, let's, do a, let's do a virtual tour, shall we? Let's do it. All right. So a virtual tour with a word picture. I love the way the Bible works with word pictures. It's just fantastic. So I think we might have to close your eyes and <laughs> start imagining what this sanctuary is going to look like. Yeah, be careful there. We might go into a trance. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get all kinds of phone calls like, what is Christopher trying to promote right here? Just imagination. That's all. Just use your imagination. Yeah. God gave it to you. It's a good thing. <clears throat> okay. So what furniture was in the courtyard? Uh, if we go um, to Exodus chapter 27, verse 1 through 8, you can read a description of it here. But there was an altar of burnt offering where animals were sacrificed. Uh, this was just inside the entrance, and it represents what Jesus did for us on Calvary. Mm-hmm. So, in the, so in the same way that the lamb that was sacrificed would cover for the sins of the person offering up the lamb, Jesus' death covers for the sins of all of humanity. Yes, and there were a number of different sacrifices that could be offered on this altar. It wasn't just the sin offering. You had the burnt offering, you had you know trespass offerings and so forth. There were a number of different offerings that could be offered on the altar of sacrifice. But all of those offerings pointed forward to Jesus Christ, and that and that off and that that altar itself symbolizes the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, where He gave His life for us. And so, when we look at the sanctuary in the context of uh, the uh, um, you, you, you know the, uh, the the heavenly sanctuary, in reality, the courtyard of the heavenly sanctuary is this world. Mm. If you read about the heavenly sanctuary in the book of Revelation, where uh, the sanctuary, its services, its um, its its furniture and different aspects of it are mentioned over 100 times in just 22 chapters, you'll find that every single reference there is in the book of Revelation to the sanctuary is the sanctuary in heaven. Yeah. And you have the same in the prophetic chapters of the book of Daniel. Every single reference to the sanctuary is a reference to the sanctuary in heaven. Even in the book of Jonah, uh, when Jonah is praying to God, he talks about the sanctuary in heaven again. He says, Really? Yeah, when I was falling down into the water, I looked up to your holy temple. And he calls out to God. You know, I've read Jonah like a heap of times, and I have never noticed that before. <laughs> I'm like, wow, there's, a, there's my piece of um, Bible trivia today. If, been, if that had been the quiz question, what did Jonah see when he looked up when he went into the belly of the fish? I certainly wouldn't have got it there wrong. Go. I probably, Jonah, probably would have said the fish's mouth. But Jonah um, too. Look it up, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, I find interesting awesome. as well in Hebrews, back in the book of Hebrews in yep. chapter 10, verse 4, it says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay. Isn't that interesting then? So why did they sacrifice then? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> uh-huh. I'm asking you the question. Oh, okay. So <laughs> You're trying to pile it back onto me. We're playing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're playing the hot potato game. All right, all right. Fair enough. Well, as we said, all of the, the earthly sanctuary was a shadow of the heavenly one to come. And so we're told that throughout the book of Hebrews, people... Uh, they had this faith, the faith in something that they had not yet seen, but in something that God had promised them in the future. Mm -hmm. And so really the, uh, the sacrifice, offering up a goat or a lamb, whatever it was, was a mechanism or an indication, a way for people to show their faith, to demonstrate their faith in the greater sacrifice to come, that in Jesus, whose blood could take away those sins. But that's really horrific, isn't it? Seems a little brutal, right? Yeah, I mean, you're taking all these innocent animals and just killing them. But the thing is, sin is like a very brutal thing. 
And unfortunately... In fact, I might put this in a bit of context. Can all I put right, this go in for context? it. I was in uh, the Middle East last year. Was it last year or the year before? I can't remember. Whenever. Uh, year before. And uh, we travelled through Iran, Jordan, Israel, Palestine, a whole bunch of different places. And uh, we saw people who were looking after their sheep in exactly the same way as they had done 2,000 years ago. Wow. <laughs> and that means that you basically have a shepherd and all the sheep follow him. Wherever he goes, they just follow him. And uh, he walks along, he, he, uh, they follow, the sheep follow him. At night time, he beds down with the sheep and sleeps with them there. And during the day, they keep walking to find uh, yeah, more food to eat and uh, water to drink, etc. And he knows where all the rivers are, where all the water holes are. And, you know, they'll travel large distances like that, you know, several thousand kilometers, um, just, 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 just walking from one area of fertility to another. And so the only way that you can get a sheep to do that, and I know this because I've owned sheep, and here in Australia, of course, we do the opposite. We drive them with dogs and motorbikes, mm. four-wheelers, so forth. The only way you can get a sheep to follow you is if you hand-raise it. Oh, okay. And the Israelites used to hand-raise their sheep. Now, I've also done this. When I was a kid, you know, I grabbed a lamb and hand-raised it on a bottle from birth. And I've got to tell you, they are the sweetest things. <laughs> They're just, a, you know... Anywhere where I went on the farm, my little net lamb, his name was Zipper, would just follow me, and she thought I was her mother, and she would just be like standing right there behind me, like nee, nee. <laughs> you know, I sit down, she climb on my climb on my shoulders and eat my hair, and you know, um, <laughs> all this crazy kind of stuff. And uh, they are the most beautiful, sweet yeah. creatures imaginable. And so, for an Israelite. This wasn't just going out and randomly selecting some random sheep in the middle of their flock. You would actually go and call that lamb by name. Mm. It would come bounding over you, as little lambs do, tail flinging all over the place because they used to have tails back then. And, uh, um, And then you would lead that lamb to sacrifice. Yeah. And so to put it in a little bit of context, think about your pet right now, the one that you love the most. Mm. And think about having to sacrifice that animal. You were do it. That would be really, really horrific, wouldn't it? Like so horrific. And we treat sin so lightly today. You know, it's like, yeah, graze, you know, move on and forget about it. But sin is such a horrific thing. It cost the life of the Son of God. And because Jesus hadn't died, there was no way of God illustrating just how horrific sin, a horrific a thing sin was. It was just impossible. And so God's like, okay, the only way you can ever come close to understanding the sacrifice on Jesus of Calvary is to take your lamb and sacrifice it for your sins. Because mm. the simple reality is it was you. It was your sins that nailed Jesus on the cross. That's what nailed him there. And it was his love for you that then kept him there because he could have stepped off any time he wanted to. And then as well we see that God gives another illustration of this, not just like with a lamb or with a pet, but there's one unique story where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son. And you're just wondering to yourself, God, what are you doing? Like, you just gave this son to Abraham. What are you asking him to do this for and then Abraham obeys and it's the hardest thing that he could ever do you know he's having this internal conflict mm. and then right as he's about to do it God says don't do it this angel yes. comes in and intervenes and so we see this picture where one guy Abraham was able to experience a little bit of what God was going through having to sacrifice his son Jesus mm. on the cross mm. except mm. with Abraham he didn't end up having to follow through yeah, and the other important thing I think that some people miss in the story of Abraham was that Abraham had the guarantee 
that his son would be resurrected. Yes. Um, in his lifetime, because his son would become the father of a great nation. He had that guarantee. And uh, um, and so, yeah, it was, um, yeah, wow, a lot of faith right there. We're going to go to a song at this particular time, and this is going to be by City of Light. And what a, a very in, um, appropriate title for this song. It's called Grace.
That was City of Light. The song was Grace. And how appropriate when we're talking about grace that is given to us so freely through the death of Jesus Christ, symbolized in the sanctuary or the temple that was built here on this earth. Well, we've got a caller come through with an answer to our quiz. Ooh, yes. exciting. And so what was our answer there, Christopher? The answer was a belt. A belt. A belt made out of gold. How do you make a belt out of gold? I don't know. I'd, 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 I'd wear it, though. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't know. It might be pretty heavy, but yeah, well, I don't know. So yeah. It might be good like, for your core strength. I, I got no clue. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So the, uh, this, of course, was um, Jesus Christ was wearing a belt in Daniel chapter 10 made out of gold. And Agabus tied uh, Paul's hands with a belt. And Jonathan, Jonathan gave David his belt as a pledge of friendship. And so, Aaron from Tari, congratulations. We have an album coming out for you. And, uh, oh, I didn't need to mention, and I've forgotten to mention today, if you are listening on, to, on the delayed broadcast, then you need to know that you can listen to us live at faithfm.com.au um, if you'd like to hear the program live, if you are at home or, or whatever. But if you are in your car or somebody somewhere else, then just grab the TuneIn app, um, run your phone through your car, wherever you've got a data service, then you can listen to us live there. It's a great signal uh, for the live broadcast. So do that. If you are listening to the delayed broadcast, make sure that you can get the program live and participate in the quiz and answer the questions and call in and give us a hard time <laughs> and share your opinions and views on the open line here at Faith FM. Okay, so Christopher, we were yes. talking about the sanctuary, the courtyard. We had the altar of sacrifice. Now we move on to a large bowl full of water. What did we call that again? The laver. Why is it called the laver? <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the break we're going to have to look that one up. Find out why it's called the laver. Maybe you know the answer as to why the word laver is used and you can call us up and let us know. However, we do know what it was used for. It That's was true. used for washing, washing the priests, washing portions of the sacrifice. It was full of water, and it symbolized something very important. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the Bible says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And to that large bowl of water, where the priests could wash, where the sacrifices could be washed, symbolized God's Holy Spirit coming into your life and washing you and making you a new person. And as you're waking up and starting this day and heading off to work or whatever it is that is going through your day, I want you to think about this. Right now, you can be washed. You can be clean from anything that is holding you back spiritually. You can be a spiritually new person by asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life and doing that for you right now. And this is what the labor, labor symbolized. And it's really awesome as well how the labor also correlates with the symbol of baptism. Um, for our listeners at home, uh, baptism is merely a, it's a way of identif- personally identifying yourself with the sacrifice of Jesus. And so really it's just going down in some water and coming up. <laughs> it's pretty basic. But we read in Romans 6 and verse 3, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So the idea is that Jesus offers up his life as a sacrifice, mm-hmm. and then we accept that by going through the process of baptism. And in the same way, the lamb, so you have the altar where the lamb is sacrificed, Jesus, which is symbolic of Jesus being sacrificed, and the next step in that process is then people accept that by going and washing themselves, being cleansed, as you were saying before, in the laver. And 
We do a, the baptism with water once. Mm-hmm, that's right. But you were talking earlier about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's something that we want oh, every yes, day. Absolutely. That's a daily thing right there. Receive the Holy Spirit into your life, for Ex- sure. Exactly. That's not a one-off event. That is a daily event. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so we move on from the uh, from the courtyard into the holy place, and there's three pieces of furniture there. What are they? So we've got a table of showbread. We have a seven-branched candlestick and an altar of incense. Okay, now this is interesting because if you go to Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, okay, so how many candlesticks were there? Seven. No, there wasn't. Ha! What? Trick question. There was one. Oh, it was a seven-branched <laughs> candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> one candlestick with seven branches on it. In Revelation chapter (laughs) 1, the Bible says in verse 4, John, to the seven churches... I knew I'd get you this morning. I've been been waiting all morning to to get you on that one. You got me. All right. Wait for tomorrow. I'll get you. Just wait. You might try. (laughs) Okay. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which was and is and which is to come. And... From the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, that's interesting. The Bible speaks about the seven spirits. If you go over to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. And so here you have in the holy place this seven-branched candlestick. And inside that candlestick, the fuel for that candlestick is what? Oil. Oil. And oil in the Bible is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit. And the number seven in the Bible is a symbol of completeness or wholeness. So seven days is a complete or a whole week. So you have the wholeness of the Holy Spirit. And the wholeness of the Holy Spirit is described as having seven different aspects. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 11... Flick over there. I'll give you all guys a Bible study. (laughs) And if you are at home, you can flick through your pages and follow us along. Isaiah chapter 11. You have the seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit that are described right here. The Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, the Spirit of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. So you have one Holy Spirit, seven different aspects, Seven making completeness, so the seven different aspects making the completeness of the Holy Spirit. The seven-branched candlestick, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And all in one candlestick, not, all, <laughs> not seven. One, one candlestick, seven, seven branches. Seven branches, seven different aspects. All right, so then we got the altar of incense coming up next. Yeah, This is an interesting one as well, and we get a little more information what on this. What was the altar of incense made out of? Ah, uh, acacia wood? And, like. and, and, oh. and, 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 and gold. Gold. Yeah. That, was probably, that would have been a good guess. There yeah. was a lot of gold in the section. You, you knew it was gold. You were just like thinking of the structure. Was there any other kind of timber in it? No, you know what? Are you, you've thrown me off now. I don't know. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> oh, I can ask him any question I want. He's going to mess it up. Oh, i got to get my mojo back. All right, here we go. So in Revelation 5.8, it says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, mm. which are the prayers of the saints. So that incense is symbolic of prayer. You find the same thing over in Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, and you go down to verse 
3 where it says another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne and so that incense would burn with a very very sweet smell it would burn with a white smoke white is a symbol of the righteousness of Christ and it symbolizes our prayers our prayers smell sweet <laughs> To God, yeah. it's a sweet, it's a sweet smell for God. It, it's something that God likes. He likes to hear us pray. You can never pray so much that God is ever going to get bored, and God can always hear every prayer that is being prayed. That's good news, right now. That's great. All right, so I think our Cliff Notes summary for today is: we have the, sac- uh, the altar of sacrifice, Jesus' death. We mm-hmm. have the laver. We accept that, and we are cleansed of our sin. Mm-hmm. Then we have the candlestick, which uh, represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we have the altar of incense, indicating our prayer life with God. And of course, very quickly, just to finish off, we find you here next have the table of showbread, which is a symbol of the Word of God. Jesus is the bread of life, and Jesus is the Word. We're going to listen to Carly Fletcher at this time, Sleep Sweetly.
thoughts and I'm sure like me at some time you have asked these questions. Does God exist? Is there anyone out there? And is God for real? As an atheist for years my answer to those questions was no. But since then I've had to reconsider the evidence. Evidence that points to a God of reason, science, love and hope. I'm inviting you to discover these answers for yourself in my exciting new series entitled Is God for Real? Beginning 7pm Friday, February 23 at the Walls End Seventh-day Adventist Church. Visit isgodforreal.com.au for more details. That's isgodforreal.com.au. Love Matters with Neil Thompson. What a delightful day it is. And today I want to talk about something that's a little bit interesting. It's actually a thing that's called incidental learning. It's the learning that takes place when you really are not trying to teach anything, but it's just being picked up from those around you. Let me give you an illustration. It's You may have heard the expression, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And what that actually is, is incidental learning. It's like we're trying to communicate to someone what we want them to do with our words, but our actions are actually saying something entirely different. Incidentally, that's happening. Now, an illustration when I was first taught this was uh, by one of my lecturers and what he actually had to say was this. He was a colleague of his, had a class straight after lunch and he would, that that, that class used to hand in all their assignments habitually late and his, he just couldn't figure out why those students, the only class that he had would hand in their assignments late. So anyway, his mate said to him, well, look, tell us about that class. And he said, well, look, it's on the other side of campus It um, and I have a, a class right before, before that and then I've got walk right across campus to this class and I've got to try and have lunch in the middle of that and he said I usually arrive about five ten minutes late and he said well there it is you think you're just teaching your class your students your subject but you're actually teaching them incidentally about you the way you value punctuality so now if we were to take that idea and apply it to our relationships to, uh, to our family to our relationship with our partner What's the incidental learning that they're getting from you? If you're sitting there and you're glued to your TV set and someone wants to come in and grab your time and you're saying, not now, incidentally, what's the learning they're getting from that? Is that that the TV show is more important than them, that they're further down the pecking order than just the, the TV? Or, you know, what, what's actually happening there? So what I'd like you to do is just to to become more aware of those moments in your life where there may be an inconsistency, because here's the thing, an inconsistency between what you believe are your values, things that are really important to you that you'd like to get more of, and your actual behavior at various times. So like our college lecturer, he his value was punctuality, but the inconsistency of his value was he was turning up late. Like a person who would say, I value my family and my family come first, and yet you put the TV over and above having a conversation with your partner or with your children. So in that, there, there's a lot to it. So we, we can apply that in other ways as well. It's like, you might be tempted to say, well, you know, be really strict on your children over over something or really tough on your partner. And yet you might have a value that that love is is your your, your prime focus in your family. And yet when you're really tough in that way, is, is love being your focus or is something else pushing your buttons? In which case you're actually teaching reactivity rather than um a loving guide in their life. So it, it's an interesting thing to think about. And, and at the heart of incidental learning 
is actually trying to consistently apply your values to your life so that what you say and what you do is just one neat package. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Imagine having more of that in your life every day so that those around you, when they encounter you, when they walk with you, when they talk with you, when they're sitting with you, when they come into the lounge room and you're watching your favorite footy show, you just hit the off button or the mute button and you turn and you look at them, you give great eye contact and you say, hi, how are you going? It's great to see you today. That would be the value of placing family above things, above TV, above whatever it is. I know it's not easy. I know sometimes, you know, you might have conflicting things and you might be thinking to yourself, well, why don't they come back when the show's finished? They know this is my favorite show. Well, the fact is, how important is that favorite show? You could always watch it again on on action replays on the online or whatever it is, or you could just say, you know what, whether I see the show or I don't see the show, my life is still going to matter and my family are way more important to them anyway. So you're with Neil Thompson on Love Matters. Stick around on Faith FM. We have so much more coming up right after this. You've been listening to Love Matters with Neil Thompson here on Faith FM, positively different radio. And now we are going into our Q&A section, one of my favorite parts of our program. Question from a listener. Indeed. And make sure if you want to send in any of your questions, any of your thoughts, opinions, if you just got a general comment about the show, make sure to hit us up on 1-800-324-843 or text us in at 0491-064-669. We look forward to hearing from you. So what's our question for today then, Christopher? Our question is, did creation take place in six literal days? Oh, very good question. It is. <laughs> now, now, this is a challenging one in today's world because we have three main theories as to how our world came into being. So we have the theory of evolution, which is a very, very long age Earth theory that the world has been around for billions of years and time is time and death basically have created what we have today. So you give enough time, you give enough possibilities, then life happens spontaneously. It's not a very scientific approach because... Um, it's based, its foundation is that life comes from non-life. Yes. <laughs> That's never been observed. You cannot test it. It's not observable, testable, or repeatable. So that's not the scientific process. The only way you can, you can um, accept life coming from non-life is by faith. Uh, <clears throat> then you have the, uh, the, 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 the other of, end of that, of course, which is intelligent design otherwise, uh, or, or creationism, and we're going to go with uh, creationism, which is a version of intelligent design, the most popular version of intelligent design, where everything that we see around us was actually designed by God, certainly corrupted by sin, but originally designed by God, and we can see the foot fingerprints of God within it. And we have that God does that supernaturally, within a period of six literal days. So that's a very, very short period of creation. Mm -hmm. And then you have um, the most difficult position, which is the one in between, so the fence sitters. <laughs> and I've got to tell you that sitting on a fence is never a comfortable place to be, particularly when you have a leg either side of it. You understand why, right? Yes. <laughs> particularly us guys. We do not like sitting on a fence on either side of the fence. It always brings about pain. And that one of then, of course, is that... The world evolved, God started it, he set it in process, and then it evolved over six long periods of time. Okay, so we need to find out what does the Bible say. Mm -hmm. And where would you go to find that answer? Well, I'm here in Genesis, and I'm looking at verse 5, mm -hmm. and this is in the first day of creation, and it ends off by saying, there was evening and there was morning 
the first day. Okay, but how do you know that God isn't talking about days in a very different context that we use the word day? Well, interestingly, the Hebrew word for day here is yom, which always Ooh. refers... I know, right? <laughs> yeah, here comes some... He's going to baffle me with signs. It, it always refers to a period of, well, 24 hours, and mm. that's why we see this indication of evening and morning. It's a literal day. Okay. Th- there isn't, yeah, much wiggle room there. And the passage I like the most is the one in Exodus 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. The seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Why? For in six days Mm. the Lord made heaven and earth. How long is our week? It is seven days long. Yep. And how long, and God here is relating creation to that same time period, the length of our week. The literal length of our week is what he tells us he created the world in, in Six literal days that God made heaven, earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. Of course, there are scientific uh, models for all of these. The evidence is always the same. It all comes down to how you interpret the evidence. We're going to listen to Fernando Ortega. Oh God, you are my God. been listening to Fernando Ortega, Oh God, You Are My God, here on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 and 88 right across Australia. You're listening to The Breakfast Show and of course, if you are listening to the delayed broadcast, don't forget you can listen to us online live at faithfm.com.au or if you would like to listen to us in your car or your tractor or wherever else you are <laughs> going to listen to Faith FM, then simply use the TuneIn app. So you download that onto your 
um, your phone or your tablet device, whatever it might be, and then you either um, yeah, Bluetooth it or aux, aux cable it to your uh, car radio and you listen to it that way. And uh, you get a perfect signal that way. It's, it's Beautiful. If you're in an area where you... Someone was complaining over the weekend, <laughs> like, we get a weak signal. Well, here's the solution to your weak signal. Don't complain about a weak signal. Download the app and you'll be in good shape and you can listen to the live program right there. Okay, so we've come to that part of the show where we get to give something away and we are giving to way today away <laughs> what are Wait we doing today, we are giving away Wait today, today. nice Chris for helping me right, a movie we are it's the case for christ it's a movie that's come out quite recently so mm-hmm. it's fresh it's hot and um it's a really good movie okay the lee strobel story the lee strobel story about a man who was questioning faith and all these things and he had a whole bunch of questions and he goes through how is it that he can justify a belief in God and a belief in Jesus Christ? Yes, it's an excellent movie. I watched it myself. I can highly recommend it. Here is a man who was a very, very highly rated investigative journalist and a devout atheist whose wife became a Christian. It melted his brain. He couldn't deal with it. He couldn't handle it. Um, and so he decided that he would do an investigative piece on Jesus Christ to prove that Jesus Christ was a fraud. <laughs> this is his story. And the answers that he found from the perspective of an investigative journalist are absolutely mind-boggling evidence for Jesus Christ. A real person, a real person who really was the Son of God, who really died, who was really resurrected, and who is really alive today. And so that's our giveaway for today. If you would like to receive this movie, The Case for Christ, 1-800-324-843, be the first caller through, or be the first person to send us a text on 0491-064-669. Or you can send us a message on Facebook. That's probably a slower way, so Hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. But if you'd like to say hi or just drop us a note or even give us some advice or make some comments, then uh, you can do that on Facebook. Always love to hear from you guys. Any yes, feedback? <laughs> absolutely. We we love you guys. We love your company here in the morning on The Breakfast Show, and we look forward to your company again tomorrow. Of course, we have more great programming coming up after this, and we will be back on again first thing in the morning with The Breakfast Show. Stay tuned. There is more to come on Faith FM.
like the grass The grass withers and fades away All flesh is like the grass The grass withers and fades away The glory of man like a flower that shrivels in the sun and falls The glory of man like a flower That shrivels in the sun and falls But the But the world